Welcome to the One Arm Minute, where we continue our hard target search for fun facts through the minutes of the 1993 action classic, The Fugitive. I'm Susan. And I'm Roger. And this is minute number 13 of The Fugitive. Susan, we are back for another week of the movie. And this is a week that I've been looking forward to for a long time um, because, you know, last week was great. I mean, we had, you know, uh, we may have peaked with guests. No offense to our previous guests, but we had... We started strong. Coming guests, but we had um, Pete the Retailer from the Star Wars Minute on last week. Uh, and so I can only think of one more person who uh, would, would be able to top him as uh, our guest for this whole week, uh, the person uh, to whom I'm betrothed, my wife, Marcy Wistar, who is a podcast veteran of such other efforts as Roadhouse Minute, The 12 Days of White Christmas, many other things. Welcome back, Marcy. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I I miss podcasting with you. That was a fun thing we did for such a long time. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a project. Got to figure out other, you know, got to figure out ways to make it through the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm sure many podcasts were started during the pandemic. <laughs> that was uh, darn right. Many things happened during the pandemic. That was one of them. Um, yeah, but, you know, so uh, so we did Roadhouse. And I know that The Fugitive is a movie that is near and dear to your heart. So I'm happy to have you here. And hopefully this is the first of several weeks to come. Because I'm not going to lie, this may not be... This is this is not like a Hall of Fame week of action, but now that you're here, it'll be a Hall of Fame week of action. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we've got Marcy, we've got Harrison Ford. All we're missing is some Tommy Lee Jones, but he's still further down the road. Yeah, we're gonna miss him for like another month of podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh, yes. I cannot believe that it's it's minute twenty one where uh, where Tommy Lee Jones finally appears, my spirit animal. That's right. Wow. Well, in this minute, we begin. This minute starts with Kimball heading up the stairs looking to get lucky and ends with Kimball getting fitted for some fancy new duds. So, Marcy, I'm actually really happy to have you on this week uh, and especially this minute because this is the minute where Richard Kimball's wife gets him sentenced for murder. Mm. Um, and and I, I think you and I need to work this out here over the podcast um, because, like, this, I mean, right after we get this sort of cute thing on the stairs, I, I I just have to say, like, please, I'm begging you, if you are fighting for your life and somehow you find your mouth next to a phone, just like, please don't mention my name. It's not going to help. <laughs> True. There's a lot of how to get Roger sentenced to death. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of evidence against Harrison that is... Uh, um wielded by that little phone call it's like i mean i get why it is necessary for the premise of this movie but like it, is there any like jury in real life that would listen to this 911 call and think that this woman was telling the dispatcher that her husband was in the house trying to kill her maybe i don't know i don't know well um from a suggestion from our first guest, uh, Pete Therese Taylor, I actually went out and got a hold of the novelization of this movie. I think that was a, an advisement not to, but uh, hey. Uh, well, you know, and, and, and the book is by J.M. Dillard, uh, which is, oh, I forget her actual name. It's her, her pen name. She actually also wrote a lot of Star Wars books, uh, Star Trek books, sorry. 
Pardon my Freudian slip. Uh, and in the novelization, she calls his name because by the time they get to that point in the phone call, he has actually reached her side. Um, so he so looks up at him and says his name because he's literally right there. This is that that makes it even worse. It's like, oh man. I mean, it's uh, this this is a rough minute. You think that she she's definitely hearing him in the house, though. So. She knows he's there for sure, and that's I think she's like in her because she, she she suffered a huge brain injury yeah so she's clearly not thinking straight she's been attacked she's been shot so she hears his name and she calls up to him because you know help yeah. me help me help me but you know it sounds pretty damning in the phone call I will... at the same time the one-armed man is cool as a cucumber standing there waiting for her to say these things and then when well, no, this is the thing the phone up, like, that I... does not run i have a, yeah. another question about this too i'm so glad you brought this up you go ahead susan and then i have a note about well it. my yep. note says that does the assailant let her talk on purpose and after she says something incriminating then he hangs up yeah. she certainly looks like he does yeah this this whole part of this minute is is staged as though he is orchestrating a false confession from her. Like, I don't understand why. Like, I, I don't understand why. You all help me help me understand why. Well, because he is, uh, spoilers, he is an ex-police officer. So he knows that she's calling 911. He knows that the call is recorded. I have to think some part of him lets her talk. But what if her first words out of her voice were, it's not my husband. It's a one-armed <laughs> Yeah. But, right. and again, he's he's not there to frame Kimball. He's there to kill him. The timing of just, like, why they choose to show this gloved finger hanging up the phone at exactly the right time, I will never understand. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's, it's so weird. I really like um, the sequencing throughout this whole one minute um, where they kind of jump back and forth through time and you see a lot of different bits of information kind of interspersed. And like, I also really like the lighting on Celia Ward. Like she already looks dead. Oh, yeah. Like she's just so washed out and faded in that scene. Um, And like, it's just really interesting lighting and color work that they do between him going up the stairs and everything's very bright with the scarf and the petals and things and then they flip to her and she's very washed out and sweaty and point dead looking we've we've seen her a lot in black and white up until this point and then only once richard actually enters the house that we switch to color but a faded color except for the blood because i find in this scene the blood is I don't know if it just seems so much more heightened because it has been in black and white up to this point, or it, they actually have made it brighter. It almost makes her look like a, it's like a vampire. Like, I mean, there's like, it's all black and white except for blood. Um, yeah. Well, her face does have some color to it. And there's color in the picture. Like, there's a picture lying next to the phone. I'm not sure if it's in this minute or previous minutes. And that is in color. And that's how I knew it was in color. But if you look just at her face. But like yeah. the, the way the scene is staged, as you all have said, it is essentially monochromatic except for mm-hmm. blood yep um i agree it is well done uh so marcy before since this is sadly this is the, la- the last we are going to get to see of helen kimball in this movie oh no you know what i'm wrong no, we see her. Flashbacks. we're going to see her in some flashbacks oh she'll be alive next time we see her right at the party uh she'll no, be alive at the party next time having sexy time <laughs> oh, um with, right. with richard but um 
Marcy, since you might not be here for those minutes, do you have any sort of broader comments about uh, Helen Kimball or, or Celia Ward's performance in the movie? Gosh, I don't remember um, much about Celia Ward as an actor, although I thought she was similar to somebody else at the same time. Was it Juliana Margulies or somebody like that? Or um, ER? Are you're... they a con contemporary? Well, sure. I mean, this is when ER is starting to take off, and that's a really interesting parallel. I mean, it, she she kind of looks like Juliana Margulies from The Good Wife. Do you remember that show? Yes. Yeah, where she has her hair oh. straightened and everything. Right. Exactly. I, and, we, you know, we did a deep dive into Celia Ward. We did her whole backstory and stuff like that. But, like, did you enjoy her performance in the movie? Yeah. I th I thought she was good in the role that she had. Um, She dies well. She does a good <laughs> job of, like, looking like, you know, she's, you know, she really took a beating in this and whoever stunted for her was really getting flown across the room. Yeah. Um, we talked about that too. Yeah. But I think that she does a good job. Anybody have any big complaints? Anybody have anything else about what happens here in the bedroom before we transition to the courtroom? Well, uh, on his way up the stairs, I wanted to take a good look at the bookcase that's behind the staircase. Cause you know how I like to look at things in the background. Um, it's a very well ordered bookcase, apart from one little pile of books. Um, there are sculptures of uh, male and female moose. There's a sculpture of a duck. And there's some weird trophy thing. I'm going to say for golf or tennis, since that seems to be the sports that they are into. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if it's golf. I mean, I think we figured out that uh, Richard Kimball is at best sort of a. a... A competent amateur, like he, he had a slice. He had a slice until Helen fixed it for him. It could be Helen's trophy. That's now you know what you're absolutely right. That was an incredibly sexist thing for me to say. That could be Helen's golf trophy as well. Um, it's funny that you picked out moose. I don't. Are there moose in the Midwest? Is that a dumb question to ask? Chicago. Well, yeah, there would be right because it's close to Canada. And you know what? You're we, right. We can have moose. This far south-ish. Are there moose in the Midwest? We, we certainly should, have moose up here. We should title this episode Roger's Dumb Ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard that bookcase. I mean, so do you think this, Susan, do you think this bookcase is a continuing part of, so Marcy, I don't know if you know this, but like the whole apartment was modeled off of this doctor that Harrison Ford like met in a bar one time who he like was just like, plumbed for information and then i guess they went back and like scouted his apartment and it's like that's the kimball's apartment so cool do you think I've... this do you think this bookcase is part of that whole mise-en-scene i think uh, a lot of this apartment that it, it probably follows the kind of layout style of the apartment that they they based it on but like a lot of the little details are probably whatever they could find in the prop shop or like a secondhand store <laughs> no you're right i mean i'm not saying they like physically appropriated this guy's books or anything yeah um, Marcy, do you want to opine on Helen's game? I mean, she's really turning on the the uh, the sexy charm in these couple minutes. Yeah, I'm not super into that kind of stuff. Like petals everywhere. It's a lot to clean up. <laughs> it's a mess. There's a cat. Yeah. The cat's gonna eat the petals. Yeah, I think it just seems like a lot. I feel the same way, and so I'm just gonna say on on your behalf, like spoken spoken like a true parent. Right, yeah. And this definitely no, seems like something. This definitely seems like something that parentless married people would do. I am parentless. I'm like I don't have kids, and if you put like roses, rose petals all over my floors or even in my bed, I will hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot to clean up, and it really is. Yeah, I'm not a we huge discussion. 
we were having a discussion at one point what we think that silky thing on the banister or like the railing of the stairs is what do you think it is oh yeah thank you um i've always either thought it was like a scarf like a big scarf or a small kimono i think that's a scarf i think it's a scarf as well but it, it's a it's a big scarf it it's a big scarf yeah Helen, it's been like a kimono kind of thing. Well, whatever it is, it gets a reaction from me. He picks it up and he does that kind of lopsided, you know, Indiana yeah. Jones grin. Yeah. Is it a possibly a slip? It's possible. It's a weird place to put it. It's also a weird multicolor pattern. I don't know that much about slips, but my sense is that... that you're not a slip expert? I don't They're, they're not designed to draw attention necessarily to themselves. It doesn't look like it has any straps either. No, I, I didn't see any dangling bits. Yeah, I, I feel like a kimono would have like a tie, like a something, a sash or something. Right, and a, a slip would have like spaghetti straps. Snicker, <laughs> snicker, snicker. Marcy, get your head up. like dangling bits. <laughs> on on that note, um, <laughs> so Marcy, let me gender swap this question for you because like Harrison Ford, we've talked about how Harrison Ford does amazing wordless acting in this movie. Oh yeah. How would you feel if you were sitting there at the defendant's table being falsely accused of murder, having to listen to the 911 call of my death? As he accuses you of feeling. Wow. Okay. All right. There. Um, bad. <laughs> Listeners, they don't call her a podcasting veteran for nothing. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that would be a good moment in my life. And I mean, he just like, he's also, he also it registers on his face like how damning those words are like he he recognizes that he's totally screwed right now but also hearing your wife essentially dying on the phone yeah that's got to be awful do you think do you all think that this is the first time he's ever had to listen to that audio no you don't think so I think it would be. No. I think it I might mean, be. I his actually, lawyers have, be. I think his lawyers have probably heard it and he, probably he, thought, ah, crap, that's going to go over well. But why would his lawyers put him up for that emotional s- situation in court? Well, he doesn't have a choice. He has to sit there at the table. He's the I know, but, but don't you think that they would prep oh. him a little oh, bit so I he see. did not like completely lose it if he was going to lose it in front of the jury? No, the, what, uh, would you not want him to have that emotional reaction? You want to prove that he loves his wife and he didn't kill her. If he just sits there, like, you know, staring coldly into the distance while her... I would err on the side of you don't know what this guy's going to do emotionally, and so yeah. it would be good to practice it, just I, like practicing his testimony. I agree with Marcy this time, mm-hmm. or this uh, with on this as well. I mean, I think there's that there's that that classic... Rule of thumb as a lawyer, like never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. That's I think never, never allow evidence to get introduced into the courtroom that you're not that you're not prepared to hear. I think that is probably true. Um, let me ask one more question, uh, which is just occurring to me now. We never get to see this because we're about to jump straight to sentencing because uh, justice is swift. Do you all think that the defense asked Richard Kimball to take the stand? He does in the book. Okay. Um, we'll tell you what. Let's leave this this literary piece of, uh, you know what, out. I'm just just based on what you think here, do you all think the defense, uh, do you think that Mr. Cusack would have asked uh, Richard Kimball uh, to take the stand in his own defense? What do you think, Mars? I, I think if they were going to do that, they would show us some of that in the movie. 
and they never do. So I do not think that they had him do that. Okay. I, I did. Do- Go ahead. Okay. No, I was going to say, I believe that they would because his defense hinges on the fact that there was a third person in the house. And the only person who witnessed that was him. Right. But doesn't the fact that the only person who witnessed it is the person be accused of murder make that story seem kind of... But he should still get to make the statement. Mm. Right. right. Then that opens him up to cross-examination. Yes. I have have heard, because, you know, I sort of like to follow legal stuff from time to time, that you almost never want to, as a defense lawyer, you almost never want to make your client take the stand unless you think he's already guilty. So maybe maybe that's the case, and they just figure, like, look, we're screwed. We might as well let him testify. Hmm. So then it's not necessarily an indication of innocence if they testify? I'm just saying the best, for, based on what I've heard, the best approach, because, you know, the, the defense doesn't have the burden of proof. The prosecution has the burden of proof. So if the defense can just spend all their time poking holes in the evidence that's being brought against them, Mm-hmm. then hopefully by the time the prosecution rests, they can just be like, look, you've you've made no case. We rest too. You're right. It, it reeks of desperation if your client has to buttress his innocence, is what I've heard. Um, let's talk about this sentence. So I have read, maybe you read this too, Susan, a, a piece of trivia that actually Harrison Ford lobbied very strongly to only be sent to prison for life. Um, and ultimately, the producers were like, nope, you're wrong. You have to die. What I don't oh. know is why he argued for that. I think he's someone who probably is naturally opposed to capital punishment. That's my sense. Oh, um, interesting. Marcy, what do you think? Would you have liked it better if he had been sentenced to life in prison instead of death? Um, I mean, it, it does up the ante quite a bit when you get sentenced to death. And it makes it a little bit more... Um, necessary for escape when you get to that option. Um, yeah, you've got nothing to lose at this point, right? Right. You're yeah. kind of s- screwed. So, um, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think that it would have as much dramatic flair if they didn't sentence him to death. I think you're probably right. I, I was surprised when when I started doing a little bit of research about that. I mean, this. You know, this this movie is set in the state of Illinois, which I have always thought of as being like one of the bluest states in the country. And so I just assumed that, like, there was no death penalty. But in fact, it's actually the total opposite. Um, The lethal injection, uh, which I think is what he gets sentenced to. Right. Um, Just became the accepted form of capital punishment in 1993, which is, um, you know, right when this movie is coming out. Um, and they actually executed a, a notorious serial killer named John Wayne Gacy the yeah. the following year. Hmm. Um, they they didn't get rid of the death penalty uh, until uh, 2011, only 10 years ago. But they only really had it for less than 20 years. Or no, no, no. Death by other means. Death by other means. Death by other means. They they were killing killing people the whole way. Um, yeah, I assume I, it was the chair before or hanging or whatever yeah. it was they were doing. Or maybe it was one of those fun states that allowed you to pick a firing squad. <laughs> Whoa. You, here's your blindfold and your cigarette. Enjoy. Right. Whoa. All right. Um, what else? Anybody I, else? I have one little quick fact about the judge. I know we covered um, uh, Andy Romano in the, in the previous minute. Um, but I was glancing through his uh, his credits on IMDb, and I, uh, I'm i a big fan of the, uh, the TV show MASH. 
and I saw that he was in an episode of MASH, and I was entertained that his uh, his character's name was Sergeant Justice. <laughs> That's Sergeant Justice? That sounds like one of the rejected action figures from G.I. Joe. Well, it's spelled J-U-S-T-I-S-S. That's gross. Just That's... to be weird. That's dumb. And for anybody who want to watch it, it's a good episode, season five, episode 23. Paraphrasing Marcy from many episodes of Roadhouse Minute. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Did you all like the clang clang? Like this is, I guess this is our Law and Order Minute too, because this is where we get to hear like the bars close. Yeah, it's very close to like, dun dun. Clang clang. Yeah, that's great soundscaping in these minutes. Like, um, I don't, I can't tell now because I don't have my sound on, but um, you're always talking about the score and the tension of things, and they do a really good job throughout this minute and the next couple of just kind of making that beat of tension start up. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna. Oh, don't you worry, Marcy. We're gonna talk about score later this week because we are gonna get uh-huh. one of my favorite pieces of score in the whole movie um, later the in the week. Song. That's the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a, a good. That's a good thing to call. It. We'll call it the bus song. Um, and you know, I have some notes about restraints so we do see kimball get put into his jumpsuit right at the end of this minute but maybe we can save that till wednesday yeah we only see a belt so far so yeah sounds good um if nobody else knows anything about the action this minute um we do have uh, a fun little interview segment to do with you marcy if you're up for it oh sure all right so marcy uh we ask all of our monday guests this question we would like to know what was your first experience with the fugitive, or a most recent, or a more recent one? You know, if you're don't remember, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> so this was one of the VHS cassette tapes that we had when I was growing up. So my brother and I wound up watching this movie quite a lot, um, and it we were big fans of Harrison Ford. We really enjoyed him and Indiana Jones. And so this was kind of along the same lines of that set of things. We didn't really watch Star Wars growing up. That was the thing that I um, picked on to when I um, met Roger. But yeah, we watched this one a lot. I, I very distinctly remember the scene where they do the raid on the other guy's house, the wrong person, and they get in there um and so I have a lot of strong memories about that. And of course, the which one? It happens twice. Um, where th- no, it, 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 I don't remember the names, but where they uh, Tommy Lee Jones shoots the gun right next to the young guy's head. So Co- Copeland when they raid for Copeland. Copeland. Yeah, that's right. And uh, listeners, you may be hearing Marcy come back for some of those minutes. Yeah. Um, and of course, the like jumping off the bridge scene and the train derailing, um, all those are very like distinct memories of the fugitive. But I always really liked it. I thought I've always really enjoyed Harrison Ford. Um, and I think he has such a nuanced performance in this movie. He's very um, gives a lot with his kind of body acting and facial expressions. Um, he's playing the, the vulnerable hero. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. How do you, I mean, he's not in these minutes, but I, I would like to know how you feel about Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, I like. Um, I I always really liked his kind of forceful, um, but also comedic parts in this movie. Um, but I'm not like a super fan of Tommy Lee Jones. Like he doesn't capture me like, like Harrison Ford. Well, if that, if no one has anything else, we'll wrap this up. No, I'm good. Take us out of here.
Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the One Armed Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. We will shout out any five-star reviews on these here airwaves. Come and join us on Facebook at Tempest Fugitive, the One Armed Minute search team. We're also on whatever Twitter is called these days, at One Armed Minute, and you can email us at onearmedminute at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care.